It's time for Nordic on Tap. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Let me begin this podcast by acknowledging that I'm recording this show on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Coast Salish peoples, in particular the Tuolup, Snohomish, Stiligwamish, and Soxhawtl tribes in Washington State. I respect their right to sovereignty and self-determination and am committed to being a better listener and learner and am dedicated to lifting indigenous voices. That's what this podcast is about. In May of 2018, I attended a cultural community gathering during the opening of the National Nordic Museum in Seattle. This was a panel from Scandinavian museums and governments talking about sharing the perspectives and voices of the Nordic countries. Someone asked how museums could better include the perspectives and voices of indigenous people. Somehow, that question was a showstopper. The atmosphere in the room perceptibly changed and became quite somber and serious, and I didn't know why. From the comments of the panelists, it became clear that the indigenous people alluded to were the native people of northern Norway, Sweden, and Finland, and a small part of Russia, the Sami and that there was a history of oppression, repression, colonization, forced assimilation, not unlike the history of indigenous people of the United States and Canada, and indeed elsewhere in the world. Since that day in 2018, I've learned a lot about the Sami, some of which I've spoken of in my Sami Folklore podcast. Now, I became familiar with the Sami culture more through music since I spun CDs on the Scandinavian Hour radio show out of Seattle, and I wanted to represent their culture through music. How should I introduce them? What do the songs mean? How do I pronounce Sami names? And in listening to some Sami musical artists, I started to hear songs that didn't seem to have any words, a style I have now come to know as yoiking. J-O-I-K-I-N-G. Ethnomusicologist Rebecca Moore describes yoiking as a form of vocal expression that is a way of remembering a person, an animal, a place, or an experience in the traditional animalistic Sami religion. It has elements comparable to yodeling in that the singer flips quickly between head and chest voice, creating a somewhat nasal timbre. It is said that yoiks are really not about a person or an animal. They are that person or animal, their essence or their spirit. Mari Boina, who we'll meet in a minute, says that the yoik is pentatonic and can sound monotonous. The yoik was a part of shamanistic ritual, and every child got a yoik as well as a name, a way to remember them. But yoiking became a target of missionaries because it was labeled and banned as the devil's music. Let's take an example of a yoik. This was collected in 1954 from the Karashok area of Norway. I regret I don't know who the singer is. 
Intriguing, isn't it? Yoiking reminds me of the shamans and singers of American Indian cultures that I have heard a little bit about. Although yoiking was banned, some Sami people continued yoiking in private, and in the late 1960s there was a kind of yoik renaissance and a desire to take pride in being Sami. One of the most important singers, also an artist and poet, was Nils Aslak Valkyapa. He was born into a, a reindeer herding family, and he raised awareness and pride in the yoik as well as Sami culture around the globe. There's a story I heard about Valkyapa when he was at an exhibition of indigenous music and performance, and I tell it to sort of make a point here. I don't know if this is true, but it sounds good. <laughs> he was apparently the sole Sami. He was new to this a festival, and he had on his striking bright blue gakti tunic with red and yellow bands. And some of the indigenous folks who were in the audience um, from other parts of the world were thinking, hey, who is this guy? What's with the costume? He doesn't look indigenous. And then Valkyapa got up to sing and started yoiking. And immediately the audience looked at each other in wonder and said, yes, there's no doubt that his music is indigenous. But no one has perhaps been more successful in garnering global recognition of the Yoik and of the Sami culture as Mari Boina. Mari Boina was born to Sami parents who were rigidly Christian and believed that their form of Lesterian Lutheranism taught that Sami language and music were to be shunned and forgotten. Yoiking especially was forbidden as the devil's music because of its specific use by Sami shamans. Mari was taught by her parents and in school that her language and Sami religion and music were wrong and that she should become fully Norwegian. But she recovered from her shy, repressed youth, as you'll see, in boarding schools and began singing and then yoiking as a way of recovering. She produced her breakthrough album in 1989, Gula Gula. As part of her music and her concerts, Boyne began speaking about what it means to be Sami, how she was taught to despise her own culture, how she has emerged over the years as proud of her heritage. She has probably done more than anyone else to date in being an ambassador for the Sami culture. So Boyne was coming to Seattle to give a concert. That was pretty exciting to me, and thanks to the Norwegian-American newspaper and Pacific Sami Servi, I was able to get a ticket. 
And I found myself wondering how the platform of music, like the world of visual art, could be used to deliver a message, maybe a cultural or political one, in a way that was engaging without being alienating, that would arouse the sympathy of listeners instead of their antipathy. This is harder than it sounds. I remember concerts I've attended where the artist went off on a political diatribe between song sets, and I found myself so turned off I couldn't even appreciate the music that came afterwards. I felt they tricked me into coming to appreciate their music, and instead I got an earful about a political or social issue. Even if I was potentially sympathetic to what the artist was saying, I went away disgruntled and peeved. So I thought Mari Buena was the perfect person to ask about how she uses her medium of music to communicate a message while not alienating her audiences. And I was looking forward to seeing what that was like in concert. So before the concert, I was granted this rare opportunity to talk to Buena directly by Skype. That was in the days before Zoom and Teams were very big. And I got to do this a few weeks before she came to this concert in October of 2019. I reached her at home, at the top of the world, along the Porsanger Fjord, with the miracle of the internet. So we started talking about me playing her music on the Scandinavian radio show, where I was a co-host. I play your music on a radio station, but the, the titles are in Sami and I don't know what they're about. What would you suggest I tell people in preparation for your songs? Um, how could I help them appreciate your music, you know, what they're going to hear? First of all, I want them to forget that it's Sami and to forget that it's not talking to the head. My music is talking to the rest of the rest of us, and not the head. And so uh, it's possible to... You can't, uh, I cannot tell people how they should uh, feel for each song. They, they have to just open themselves and feel what they feel. And then the next step is uh, uh, to tell what I wrote about. But what, yeah, because I, I mean, I play, I do concerts all over the world. And of course, people don't understand what I'm singing about. But music, like classical music, they, it doesn't have words. It's not explained to the audience. And so there are many levels uh, of my songs. You can, you can just feel like you do with classical music. And then the next is, okay, if you want to go deeper, you can have the translation. I want people just to feel, but switch off the head. I've heard you say that the universal connection to your music uh, comes from the drum you use. Yeah. It's like the human heartbeat. Yeah, because uh, the shamanistic beat, my, my culture was originally shamanistic. And and uh, what I've been reading about shamanism that is that I think all the human beings, because we all were close to nature once, the cities didn't come before after, so we were all close to nature and the first religion was shamanism or animism. People had the, the drum 
the very simple drum like you hear many among many indigenous people and it's it's very connected to the heart and that's why because people ask we don't understand sami but we still feel that it talks to us and i say it's because we are all human beings and and the shamanistic beat is very close to the heartbeat and that's why we react and people tell me when i play in town in europe in vienna in paris in big cities they say oh you open doors to dreams forgotten dreams or things we had forgotten i think it's because my culture is very old but at the same time everybody's culture is old but we have preserved something that is a, a heritage of the human being that's what indigenous people have we haven't been urbanized and so head based as many of the western cultures how are you trying to bring or open up audiences to learn about the sami from your music i feel that this is a heritage that, that is everybody's not only the sami peoples and that's why i like to share this with people because I started to make music uh, as a therapy for myself <laughs> because I was so shy I hated my own heritage I I was brainwashed to hate everything that my language my the religion the old stories they wanted to assimilate us and to become civilized but when I was 20 I really wanted to leave all this and become norwegian scandinavian and then european western and forget about all this and then at the teachers training college for the first time i heard my people's story history and i realized what had happened i don't know this talked to something in me and all these songs started to come out like medicine and they have made me they have made me stronger i've been tr- journeying with this music on this journey for 25 years 30 years and it's it's totally changed me from being a very very shy person who just wanted to become something else than than she was and to become this strong indigenous woman that I am today. You know, one could almost say that after leaving teachers college you did in fact become a teacher as well as a musician. Yes. Sometimes I joke I I had to leave the classroom because the audience was too small. I I needed a bigger audience. But I yeah, I I feel I I am I am also using my teacher part. So I've I've heard people say you perform like a shaman. In, in what ways is your music shamanistic? Among the Sami people, what was the tradition was that uh, one shaman, one spiritual leader or several they they always watched the children and they saw which one had these special abilities and they started to train. They took special care of this child. So this is of course taught over a long long time to become a shaman. Some of my um, fans or audience they want to call me a shaman. I say I'm not a shaman. I have 
big respect for those who are shamans. But I know this music has connection to the shamanistic beat. It has healing powers. It comes through me. But a real shaman is more trained than I am. But I have given myself to this music that has, in a way, taught me something, parts of it, parts of the old wisdom. Because a shaman, as we see it, is a person who has connection with the spirit world. And he can be, he or she can be both here among the human beings, but he or she can also connect with the spirit world and is not afraid of going into there and has the has been trained to be able to communicate with the spirit world. In our culture, and I'm sure in other indigenous cultures too, this is not something people want it to be. Try, they try to escape and try to, no, 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 I don't want this. Because it's a heavy, heavy responsibility. That's the, this, these are the things that I know about shamanism. I have a brother who's a healer, and I know that he knows about really heavy stuff and has been trained by elders. Some musicians I know feel they want to communicate a message in their music or on stage, and in your case, it's the story of the Sami. So how do you deliver this message in your concerts but not alienate your audience? It's been ongoing Samis have been trying to tell and to communicate with those who who colonized us. First of all, it was difficult when I started to sing. People loved my voice and I mixed some songs in Norwegian where I also told about, there's one song called Recipe for the Master Race. (laughs) And people... It's, it's not written. I, I made the music, but the, I found the lyrics. It's actually Norwegian and Sami who wrote the lyrics. And people said to me, oh, I love your voice, but do you have to mix politics in this? Do you have to tell us this bad, this um, not so nice story that is bothering us? And I said, I'm sorry, I have to, we have to start, you have to start dealing with your backyard. You are very, like in Norway and Sweden, Denmark, they are very following the human rights all over the world. Scandinavians are known for this, to to follow the, that others are following the human rights. But hello, you have your own backyard. I'm sorry, I have to tell you this. And it's been a process. In the beginning, people were really... Uh, upset and many people couldn't deal with this but I see that little by little it's been growing and it's unpleasant of course but I, I think in order for the world to go forward we have to start talking about this and this has happened all over the world it's not only in Norway it's not only in Scandinavia it's not only in the States Canada it's it's everywhere. I mean, it's this is the human being has to start facing 
especially the, the ones who have been on top, they have to start dealing with what that this has given pain to others. And it's only if we can talk about these tra- traumas that we can all become free. I try to have a balance. I, I don't speak a lot, but I, I translate a few parts of my songs and I, because I feel my, uh, it has to be, my concerts have to be both. I want to spread my people's history. And I want to share this gift that the shamanistic beat and the shamanistic songs are. Uh, in the beginning, I, was, I had a lot of angry songs. I needed to get out the anger. Then I felt that, okay, I, I want to be proud of my own heritage. And then I want to share it. I don't need to ask anybody. Am I allowed to appreciate? Am I allowed to have my own heritage? It's when I stopped asking for permission that I became more free and more proud. And then I show this is the wonderful heritage that we have. If you want to um, open yourself for it, because it's it's something valuable and and beautiful, and that we all should make sure that this doesn't disappear because it's connected to Mother Nature. And if we ruin, if we poison the nature, there is a connection. This is a valuable heritage for the human being as much as the nature is. Yes, I've always felt that when we poison nature, we're also poisoning ourselves, since we're more connected than we realize. So I've heard there are environmental challenges these days in Sápmi, such as uh, companies who want to mine there. Yes, there is. Oh, that's such a big challenge now, because it's more and more these mining companies, uh, windmill parks, they are taking more and more of the land of the reindeer. It's this old, old uh, traditional way of living is so threatened. And also now the Norwegian government has said yes to to open the mining in Kvalsen, which is a beautiful salmon fjord one of the richest salmon fjords, and they are allowing a mining company to dump. Is, it, is that an English word, dump? Absolutely it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to dump toxic waste, tons of toxic waste, in a world where we are all fighting to get rid of the chemicals. And I, I can't understand that Norway is letting this happen. At the same time, there is a young reindeer herder because the Norwegian government has told the Samis you have to reduce the number of reindeer because there are too many reindeers. There is a young young man who has been going to court. He says, I don't want to reduce. I have 375 reindeer and they want me to reduce to 75. And it's not possible to make a living of 75 reindeer. So he's been fighting in court and he won. He won. There are three levels. And he won, but on the last, what is it called? Yeah, the Supreme Court. He didn't uh, 
win, so he has applied to the UN. Norway doesn't want to wait. So they have, are forcing this young man to slaughter his reindeer. And this is happening. It's a contradiction. They say there are too many reindeer, but they are giving away this land to mining companies, to others. It's, it's a shame. I, I, was there, I was there on Saturday and I talked to the guy who's the leader. Of, there was an, they were filming when I, I met him and I asked him what. And I said to him at the end of our conversation that because he re- I can see that he really believes in this. He, he tells me he's not, he's not going to poison the fjord. I say, you are lying. You are, you are lying so you believe it yourself. But the, the day you see what you are doing to nature, you can come to me and cry and I will, I will be there. Because I mean, I, I, I really mean that everywhere where people are, don't see what they are doing to nature, one day they will have to face this and, and see, and then they will really, I hope they will really break down and cry. <laughs> Doesn't the Sami parliament have a say in all this? They have a voice, but... This government, this government that is now, that is very to the right, they don't have to listen. They say, I, I feel sometimes the Sami parliament is just, okay, you can deal with the culture stuff and education, but don't start talking about rights to the land. And this, I said in this interview that I did with the Norwegian television that I, because they said, why are you here? I said, I want to know as much as possible. I am going out to the world and I'm going to tell. It's my, one of my um, tasks is to spread this story because my people are now, they are under heavy pressure. And it's not like we are one of the indigenous people who are material, material. We have the same wealth that the Norwegian People, because many places indigenous people are still poor, but we are well off. Is that what you say in English? Yeah, I have a salary from the Norwegian government. There is this wonderful part, but in order for us to not lose our culture, there are some things that we we cannot lose. And one of the things is the way we are using the land the resources and the the reindeer herding should be protected and all other ways of using the nature in the indigenous way. I look forward to hearing you in concert in Seattle. And please spread our music and the story about us. I'm looking forward to come. I'm talking about politics too much, but I'm looking forward to come and share my music with people. Well, I put you up to it talking about politics. I asked. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mari. It was a distinct pleasure talking to you. Okay. See you. Vises. Yeah, so a few weeks later, I attended Mari Boinda's concert and was uplifted by her soaring, soulful, and mystical singing. She, her music is haunting. It's a primal, wordless wail 
That's my sense of the yoik part of what she does. can be either low and guttural. It can be break into a, a higher register. And Boina talked briefly between songs about her own upbringing and spoke the lyrics in English before singing them in Sami. I liked especially that she talked about her own experience and why she thought the Sami deserved more recognition. Mari Boina ended that concert suggesting that we listen to the wisdom of indigenous people, especially those living sustainably and in concert with the environment. In an era of global warming, receding ice sheets, rising sea levels, unrestricted mining and gas and oil drilling, this sounds like wisdom worth paying attention to. I was unfortunately not able to play any of Mari's work in this podcast, but you can go to mariboina.no, so M-A-R-I-B-O-I-N-E dot N-O to hear it. If you click on discography and then pick an album, you can listen to various cuts or songs. She's also been filmed on YouTube. I recommend listening to her breakthrough song, Gula Gula, from 1989, which gives a good example of the drum, yoiking, and her pop combination. I was very, very lucky to get a chance to talk to her and then hear her in concert. I can follow up with news about Repafjorin, the place where they're going to mine copper and sink the tailings into the ocean. Despite protests over several years and concerns raised by the Sami parliament, the mine, unfortunately, is going to move ahead. In terms of that man who had to reduce his reindeer herd, I understand he gave some of his reindeer to a member of the family, thereby reducing his herd size to the maximum. I don't think he had to slaughter any of them. The introductory theme for this podcast was the New March, played by Alfred Morton Heurup and Ruthie Dornfeld. Our exit music is composed and performed by Daryl Jackson. All of these folks have websites. Thank you for listening. Head on over to the NordicOnTap.com website to hear our other podcasts and fill out our listener survey. That will earn you my gratitude and some nifty screen backgrounds for mobile and desktop. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. We look forward to seeing you again here on Nordic on Tap. Be safe.